You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Over the past uh, weeks and months, we've been walking through this series in the life of Moses, going through the book of Exodus. And so if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus again this morning, uh, Exodus 33, and then the very start of, of Exodus 34. I'm sure you've felt this if you've been with us. Uh, I've certainly felt it. This is the kind of series that we could have taken a whole lot more time in, uh, a lot more weeks in the book of Exodus. Could have even spent a couple years there, perhaps. Uh, But if you've been with us, hopefully you've been seeing uh, how Moses points forward to a better prophet that would come after him. How Moses points the way to a better deliverer that was yet to come. And so as we get to bring this series to a close this morning and then next week, my prayer is that, that our anticipation of that deliverer would be really heightened and that we would get to, to enter into our celebration of Advent, our celebration of the Christmas season together with that much more uh, joy and celebration um, in, our, in our seasons this year. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive right into Exodus 33 this morning. Lord God, we ask now uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to turn our hearts to you and that we would hear what you speak to us. For truly you speak peace to your people. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Exodus 33, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. 
for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all, he, that is God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Chapter 34, go ahead and skip down to verse five and we'll pick it up there. It says, the Lord descended on the cloud. Moses goes back up the mountain to receive the second, the, the two tablets for the second time. And this is what happens. The Lord descended on, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. This is God's word. The chapter uh, before the text we're in today is the account of the golden calf. It's one of the accounts that I would have loved to spend, if not you know, one Sunday on, multiple Sundays on in this series. Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law of God. While he's gone, the people ask Aaron, Moses' brother, to, to melt down their jewelry and they make a golden cow out of it and worship it. It's a really important and perhaps familiar episode in, in the book of Exodus. Less familiar... But just as important is what plays out after that, which is what we're reading today. How is God going to respond to Israel's grievous sin and rebellion? Uh, God has brought his people out of Egypt. In return, they've now worshipped the golden cow. So now what? Now what? The answer is dependence. Dependence. By his incredible mercy, this becomes a moment for God's people to recognize and to renew their dependence on God. And in this passage, we see that dependence in at least three ways. We see dependence on God's presence, dependence on God's revelation, and dependence on God's restoration. God's presence, God's revelation, and God's restoration. So first, let's talk about dependence on God's presence. As we read, chapter 33 opens with, with God re-upping his promise to bring the people into the land. And if you think about it, that in and of itself, after the golden calf, is pretty amazing that that's still on, that that's still going to happen. But we're learning here that, that God keeps his promises. Uh, so even though Israel rebelled, he's going to keep that promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. There is an important change, however, and hopefully you heard it. It's that God himself will not be going with the people anymore. Why not? Because if he does, and if Israel sins again, which, spoiler alert, they will, they will, God is concerned that the, the consuming fire of his holiness is going to end up consuming them. And so this offers Moses and the whole people of Israel a, a fork in the road kind of moment. Are they content with the benefits and the blessings of God? 
or are they really dependent on God's presence? Or we could say it another way, do the people of God only want God's gifts, or do they truly need the giver? And this is a question for for God's people in every age. Do we long for God himself? Are we dependent on his presence with us, or are we really only after the benefits of being part of his people? It's really easy for us to become focused on the gifts, on the benefits, that we receive comfort in our suffering, for example, that we gain a a deep sense of purpose and meaning for our lives, that we have, even as we celebrated this morning, a community of like-minded people that we get to walk through life with. Or maybe even the ultimate one, that, that we as Christians have our own promised land. As Christians, heaven is our promised land. It's a place filled with the fullness of God's gifts, the fullness of God's blessings. It's a place free from the pain and the sorrows and the suffering which characterize so much of our of our lives on this earth. But on the day you enter heaven, if God is not there, if Jesus is not there, if the Holy Spirit is not there, how would you respond? Would you be content with all of the gifts if you were devoid the giver? Moses, we learn in this passage, is not content with an arrangement like that. And so he starts pleading. He starts interceding. He says, God, you have to go with us. And notice the the progression as this plays out. In verse 14, God says, okay, Moses, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But the you in that verse is singular, not plural. God is saying, I'll go, Moses, with you personally, individually, not with the people. They'll still get the land, but they're not going to get my presence. Now, Moses is an incredibly flawed, sinful man. We've seen that many times over in this series. But if there is one thing that we can affirm about Moses, it's that he refuses to abandon the people God has put into his care. He he is not a mercenary. He's not a hireling. He is a shepherd of these people. And so he refuses to accept something for himself if it's not going to be offered to the people as well. And so he keeps on pleading. He says, no, 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 God, go with us. Not just me, go with your people. Otherwise, don't take us another step from this spot. This is where the journey ends. We don't just want your promised land, we want you. And in verse 17, God says, yes. Okay, Moses, I will do that. I will go not only with you, I will go with all of you. So God's people are dependent on God's presence. And that really is the whole point, is it not? God's presence is what actually makes the people of God the people of God. Not the land. Lots of groups of people have land. Lots of people have territory that they call their own. But as Moses says here in verse 16, it's the presence of God that actually makes these people distinct. It's what differentiates the people of God from anybody else. So though we are inclined to to love the gifts more than the giver, the moment we lose the giver, we also end up losing our identity. We end up losing our purpose. We end up losing our, our mission that we've been given by that giver, by God. I'd invite you to consider today, this week, in your life, where do you find yourself wanting the gifts more than the giver? Where do you find yourself wanting the gifts of God more than God himself? Where has the Christian faith become to you more about some benefit or blessing than about actually experiencing the presence of the living God? See, the the best news of our salvation is that at the end of this story, we get God. It's not that God gives us something else. At the end of this story, we get God. So the best way for us to prepare for that future 
is to live every day with dependence on the presence of God. In a way that would, would have blown the Israelites' minds, you and I have the presence of God with us. Through the work of Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit indwells the people of God. How often are we aware of that? How often do we, as the, the 17th century monk Brother Lawrence once put it, how often are we practicing the presence of God, attending to the fact that God is present with us, aware of that reality? I, I realize this morning I'm talking to a room filled with people who are experiencing a lot of blessings from God. Uh, I, I know this is not every one of us. There are some of us that are experiencing incredibly painful, difficult things in life right now. But a ton of us in this room have jobs, have homes, have at least some measure of health, have at least a few good relationships that are really meaningful to us. Hopefully when you celebrate Thanksgiving this week on Thursday, you'll perceive all of those gifts and then some, and you'll just be filled with a ton of gratitude for the gifts that God has, has given. I want you to recognize though this morning, none of that is what makes you a son or daughter of God. None of that is what makes you a son or daughter of God. The spirit of God, the presence of God is what makes God's people God's people. So like Moses, plead for the presence of God to keep going with you. And not just you individually, but to keep going with all of his people, with, with his church. That's dependence on God's presence. Second, let's talk about dependence on God's revelation. Dependence on God's revelation. Uh, we are unable to know God by ourselves. It's impossible. We can't do it. We need God to teach us and to show us. And we see God doing that again in a new and powerful way even in, the, in these chapters. Up to this point, and if you've been part of this series, you hopefully remember some of this. Up to this point, God has revealed a ton of himself to Moses. It began all the way back in chapter 3, the burning bush. God spoke to Moses. He revealed his covenant name, Yahweh, the Lord. He revealed himself then later to Moses and the 70 elders of Israel. He revealed his law on the top of Mount Sinai. And he's revealed himself through a number of really powerful miracles that we've seen throughout the book of Exodus. And yet, and yet, as we get to chapter 33, Moses is still hungry to know even more about God, to know as much about God as he possibly can. Look again at verse 13. Moses says to God, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your way. Why? That I may know you. That I may know you. And as he continues interceding, after God answers his prayer to not only go with him individually, but to go with all the people, Moses then ventures an even more audacious request for God's revelation. Verse 18, please show me your glory. Can you imagine asking God to show me your glory? In other words, Moses is saying, I don't just want to know about you, God. I don't just want to know your ways. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to see whatever you'll let me see of your glory, all of your radiant holiness, all of your greatness, all of your goodness. I want to see that. And the only thing more scandalous than Moses making this request is that God actually grants it. Right? As God says, no one can see my face and live. God's glory would consume sinful people like Moses. And if it would consume people like Moses, it sure would consume people like me and maybe like you. But God says he will cover Moses. Moses, get this, will be protected from God by God. He will see God's glory pass by. He will hear God proclaim his name. 
And the reason we wanted to read some of chapter 34 this morning is that that's where we see this actually happen. We see it play out in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And in what becomes one of the most repeated, quoted verses in all of the Old Testament, God reveals his name and the essence of his nature and character in what he proclaims to Moses. He says in verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. From this moment on, in the course of time, God will continue to show how much this actually does encapsulate his nature and his character. The Bible is the story of God's mercy and grace. The Bible is the story of God's patience, of his slowness to anger. The Bible is God's story of God's covenant love, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. It's the story of his forgiveness, but it's also the story of his justice that he won't just deal lightly with sin or sweep it under the rug. There's a ton more that we could could say about this this morning, but for today, I just don't want you to miss this. You and I know this about the character, about the nature of God, because Moses had the audacity to ask. Because Moses had the audacity to ask God, show me your glory. Having experienced so much of God's revelation already, Moses was still hungry. He wanted as much revelation as God was willing to give, and God was willing to give more. And we know, church, that God was willing to give even more than this. Even more than this, he would go on to reveal his own son. The author of Hebrews writes many centuries later, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? By his son. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Like Moses, like Israel, you and I are dependent upon God's revelation. It's how we can know anything about God. It's how we can know anything really about ourselves. It's how we can know something of God's good design for the world and his way of salvation that he has opened to us. Unable to to solve the mysteries on our own, unable to come to a knowledge of him on our own, God has revealed himself and he's revealed himself most clearly when God the Son, Jesus Christ, took on flesh and dwelt among us. So like Moses in this passage, hunger to know as much of God as you possibly can. Cultivate an insatiable appetite to know God, to taste and see as much of God as he has graciously revealed. When you read your Bible, when you pray, when you gather here or wherever you gather normally for worship, don't just do that as an academic exercise. Don't do that simply because you, you should. I mean, that's true right? We should do that. But do those things because like Moses, the little bit you have come to know is fueling your appetite to know more. Practically, a a great way to start today or this week would be to take what God proclaims in this text in, in chapter 34, verses six and seven, and to meditate on how Jesus embodies the fullness of all of it. How Jesus revealed God's mercy and grace. How Jesus showed us the fullness of of God's slowness to anger and his steadfast love. How, How Jesus shows us both God's forgiveness and God's justice. 
if this name, if this proclamation in Exodus 34, if that's what the glory of God looks like, then look for the glory of God until you see it in the face of Jesus. Right? We would die like Moses if we saw the face of God, but in Jesus, we look into the face of Jesus and we live and we live. So that's dependence on God's revelation. Third and finally, let's talk about dependence on God's restoration. Restoration. And just for a second to zoom out, where are we in Exodus? We're covering a lot of text in a relatively short period of time. Where are we in Exodus? Well, God has brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. As we saw then last week, uh, he gave his law. He said to his people, here's now how to keep living as freed people, not to go back to slavery. Here's how to live free. And we didn't get to study it together, but then after revealing some additional laws, God also goes on to give instructions for building the tabernacle. Uh, He told his people to build a tent where his presence, where God's presence would dwell with the people. Before construction began, however, the people worshiped the golden calf. It's a really significant interruption to that plan. And they were nearly consumed by God when they did that. And so when we get here to Exodus 33, the whole idea of the tabernacle, the whole idea of God's presence continuing to go with the people, it seems up in the air. This little aside in chapter 33 about Moses' tent, the tent of meeting where God communicated with Moses, it seems when you first read it, really unrelated. It seems like it's kind of out of place. Like why did Moses just kind of drop that in the middle of this otherwise story that makes sense? But it's not out of place. See, with the tabernacle up in the air, the tent of meeting is another way of God saying, my presence will go with you, Moses, individually, but not the people anymore. Instead of the tabernacle, which would be set up in the middle of the camp, in the very center of where all the tribes were camping, the tent of meeting, as we read, was outside the camp. It was far off from the people. But then Moses pleads with God and intercedes. God answers, he he will go with his people. He will continue to reveal himself to them. And if we were to keep on reading, the rest of chapter 34 is a renewal of the covenant. In spite of the golden calf, God is still going to be Israel's God. They are still going to be his people. And then you know what chapter 35 of Exodus is? They start building the tabernacle. It's back on. It's up in the air when we get to chapter 33. Chapter 35, it's back on. God's presence is not going to be far off or only for Moses. God really is going to dwell with. He's going to dwell among his people. All of that to say, friends, God is the God of restoration. God is the God of restoration, and we are utterly dependent upon his restoration. If God is not the essence of his name, if he is not merciful and gracious, if he's not patient and slow to anger, if he is not the God of covenant love and faithfulness, right? If God is not, does not remain faithful when we are faithless, and if he is not forgiving, then we are without hope in this world. We are without hope in this world. I have never melted down jewelry and worshiped the image of a cow. If you have, you have a way cooler story than I do. And I would love to hear your story at some point because that's amazing. I've never done that, but I have been at least that rebellious and idolatrous and, and maybe more so. Right? I, I have devoted myself to lesser things that are not God. I have taken good things that God has given and I have turned them into ultimate things. I have elevated the gifts of God above the giver. And, I, and I've taken the enormous amount of revelation 
that God has been kind to give to me, which is actually way more than what he gave to the Israelites. And instead of responding to that faithfully, I've chosen to respond to that with what seemed easier or expedient. And I stand before you this morning and say that in spite of all this, through Jesus Christ, I have been restored. Amen. Thanks be to God. Some of you can say the same thing where you sit this morning. In spite of all of this, I have been restored. In the ultimate picture of being protected from God, by God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, took on flesh. He hung on a cross and he received the punishment for my idolatry and yours, my rebellion and yours. Jesus is the only answer for how God can be both just and the justifier of how God can both deal with sin without consuming the sinner. And so if today you feel like you're, you're picking up maybe the shattered pieces of your life, or if today you, you recognize that like the Israelites, you too have rebelled against God. You too have worshipped something that is not God. And you're wondering now at this moment, maybe one of the lower moments of your life, how God could possibly extend mercy and forgiveness to you. This is how. This is how. God is the God of restoration. And not just for the leaders, not just for the super faithful people like Moses, but for all who ask for it, for all who look to Jesus in faith. Man has sinned, but God has saved. Our sins, as we sung together this morning, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Earlier, we got to hear some incredible snapshots of people who have experienced something of this restoration from God. And I just would invite you to let that stir you up this morning. This is the kind of restoration that our God does. Long for more of it. Pray for more of it in your own life, in the lives of people you know and love. Long and pray for the restoration of God to come to bear in this time and place. See, as as intricate and detailed as the story of Exodus is, it's actually filled with a lot of simple invitations. with, With some calls to just strip away all of the excessive external trappings, everything that we've come to believe is non-negotiable to our life and to simply lean into our dependence as people that really need God. We are dependent on God's presence and Jesus has taken on flesh. The, The word in the gospel of John is literally tabernacled. Jesus has tabernacled with us and then sent the spirit into our hearts through Jesus. Get this. Through Jesus, we do not live a single moment of our lives apart from the presence of God. We are dependent on God's revelation and we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we look at the glory of God and live and live. And we are dependent on God's restoration. And in Jesus, as the apostle Paul writes, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Jesus, we are restored. This, friends, is our God, and we are his people. So may we live as the dependent people we are. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we bless you this morning for the gift of your word. We bless you for what you have revealed of yourself to us, and most of all, that you have revealed your son. We bless you for the gifts that you have given. But I pray this morning that deep within our soul, we would rejoice in the giver. That even as we come to this table and see the gifts of God for the people of God, the bread, which is your body, the 
the, the, the wine or the juice, which is your blood, the gifts of God for the people of God, that we would see in them the beauty of the giver, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus even now. By the power of your spirit, would you make us hungry to know as much of you as we possibly can? And would you send us out to be your faithful people in this time and place? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.